All right, welcome everybody. This is another episode of the Public Speakers Podcast. I'm here today with Ernest Krim the uh, Third, who I found on LinkedIn, like most of the guests I find on LinkedIn, because he posted a good piece of content on public speaking, and I was like, oh, he should be on the podcast. So we connected. He's on the podcast now. I think he has a really unique perspective on speaking um, in terms of what he speaks about, the motivation behind what he speaks about, and also his techniques to actually get people to listen when he's talking. So. Uh, Ernest, I'll give you the floor. Just tell everybody who you are, where you're from, where you're located right now, what you're currently doing, and then we'll get into some questions. Yo, what's up, everybody? This is Ernest Cram the Third. I'm actually a high school teacher. I'm based in a uh, southwest suburb of Chicago. I'm from Chicago, from the south side, but I'm a high school teacher now in the suburbs. And uh, U.S. history, African-American studies. Um been speaking now for about oh, close to three years, um, you know, trying it out as a profession. And I also sponsor a black student union at my school. So I'm very passionate about history, specifically black history, and using that as a tool to transform our community for a better future. All right. Awesome. There we go. Um, so Ernst, what are you doing right now in regards to public speaking? So we know you're a high school teacher. Obviously, you speak right. every day publicly to kids. Uh, outside right. of that, how mm-hmm. are you trying to expand upon your speaking career or speaking engagements, things like that? So my thing now is I'm I'm uh, focusing on getting into as many high schools and now middle schools as possible. And my goal is to use my personal experience and my personal story to teach people about how uh, history can be used to really, I, I feel like it can be used to transform our communities, like I said with the uh, introduction. And the, the reason why I feel this way is because I dealt with the hate crime personally in uh, 2016. And dealing with that experience and responding in the way I feel was the appropriate way, I feel like all was because I had the the, the mental and psychological tools that allowed me to be prepared for that moment. Right. What I actually say in the hashtag I've been using is Black History Saved My Life. And it, it's something that um, I didn't really think of until the last couple months or so when I really thought about my situation. Being faced with somebody calling me the N-word repeatedly, um, spitting on me and my wife and catching it on camera. When I went through that whole process, to me, the best way to deal with it, honestly, is a catharsis uh, type thing was really just to speak about it, write about it. And living in this day and age, you know, not to say this is unlike any other period in history for people of color or any other any other person that deals with racism. But I just feel like since we have such exposure to technology and such exposure to social media and being able to see these things, it's important for me to use my voice to let people know that you don't want to suffer in silence. And the more you know about yourself, the more you can be prepared to deal with these situations and realize that it's not you that's going crazy. It's the system that's producing uh, individuals who react to you in a crazy manner. Absolutely. So basically there was an experience that you had, particularly a really violent experience back in 2016, which started this like whole transformational journey of you wanting to actually speak up about stuff that was happening and spread that Mm -hmm. message essentially. Yeah. yeah. You know, you know, what's funny. uh, I would honestly say that, you know, as a teacher, like you said, I get a chance to speak every day. And I think that's kind of what started my career in speaking unknowingly to myself, but I'm one of those teachers that hates to follow the format. I just, I'm not a formulaic person. They say, start the class with a bell ringer, then transition to this, then do this. Uh, And it helps to keep you on, yeah, it's, it's, you know, taking, and as a history teacher, my kids expect to be copying notes all period. I'm just not that guy. So I I, I felt after like my first couple of years, it's like, I cannot do this 
long term unless I'm adding my personality. So sometimes instead of having a bell ringer, I would just, uh, you know, let's talk. <laughs> like, how's your day going? How's life? How was the weekend? And every once in a while, I would throw in a story, not because I was practicing speaking, but it was like I had some crazy stuff happening in my life. And it was just like weird stuff like, you know, car breaking down on the side of the road, uh, you know, spending four hours in the auto zone. And I would like go on these tangents, man. And my kids were like this, like they were all eyes, like just all ears, all eyes listening. And again, not realizing it, but just like over time, then I started to listen to Eric Thomas. And he really got me to think like, man, I should be, you know, maybe I can start to polish this and fine tune it a little bit. So I had a male mentoring uh, program and I started to like speak like the first five minutes of those meetings and then transition to something else. And it kind of just ballooned from there. But I never felt that I had a story that would go outside of just the classroom. So I never really thought about taking it serious until I had this experience where it was like, okay, if I'm quiet now, I'm potentially causing a lot of people to suffer in silence, uh, you know? And I, I felt like I'd be doing the world a disservice by just keeping it enclosed in a class of 30 kids for five periods a day. That's actually, that's that's really interesting because my mom and my sister um, and my mom's mom and my dad's mom have been high school teachers. Yeah. So like teaching is yeah. kind of in our, in our blood in a way. I feel like I'm a teacher too. I'm not in the, the, the education yeah. system, but I feel like I've always been teaching. So it's so interesting to me because public speakers are kind of seen in in the world, right? as like these individuals who are able to command the attention of people and right. one on the stage, millions in the audience. And we see that person on the stage, whether they're like a musician, a dancer or a speaker as someone who has the ability to grapple that attention. When you're a teacher, yep. you got to do that for eight periods a day, teaching the Man. same lesson over and over again, especially history. Like you got to get into some complex stuff every day and you have to do it in a way that actually gets kids interested. So mm -hmm. it was interesting to me that when you said you started bringing up your own personal experiences of like the car on the road, kids would listen more because I, I used to be I'm 22 right now but I used to be in high school and I would listen mm -hmm. a lot to my teachers when they actually talk about something that's relatable right versus something that's just like from the curriculum so and, and at that point you started realizing maybe that there's a, a narrative here that you can branch yeah. out to other places yeah it, it was really just like you said it's, it's to me it's the art of storytelling and again I didn't realize I was following that format but stories whenever you begin to say you know I remember a time or you know, I recall, and guess what happened to me? Or let me tell you a story. People are all ears because that's just how we as human beings have evolved. You know, I mean, especially in my culture, like you're talking like West Africa, where I, where my people are from way, way back. It's griots. You know, we didn't we didn't document everything. We just told stories right. and we, we're sitting in a circle and then we pass those stories down from, you know, to our kids and our kids, kids. So it's just human nature. We, I mean, you think about Disney, how a lot of those cartoons are adapted from old folklores, you know, a lot of different like religions across the world with different stories that are the same. So it's really, for me, it was this, these stories in history, if I can start to fine tune them and tell them in a way that are attracting people, maybe I can maybe teach some self-development from this too and, and get people to pay more attention. Cause like you said, like if, whenever I say, okay, let's, let's go to the book. The kids are, okay. But whenever I say, you know what, let me tell you a little something I learned about George Washington. Let me tell you a little something about Andrew Jackson and Martin Luther King. And they find out like, well, these people were actually people. Right. And it's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. So let's, let's dig. And I think that's something that's really missing in education. It's the power of telling your unique story and letting the, the curriculum fit around it as opposed to you just letting the curriculum spearhead everything. And there's, there's a speaker I love named Brian Mindler. Um, and he talks about some, uh, he's an educator, well, a former educator, talks about how like we need to, as educators, 
you know, get the content out the way in place of the kids. You know, like we sometimes we kick out kids because we say they're disrupting the content when in fact it's really the content that's disrupting the kids. Mm-hmm. So we should be adapting to the audience. If they're not paying attention, then maybe it's something we're not doing, for example. So Yeah, I mean I I hundred percent believe in that. I feel like like you can't blame the audience for not paying attention. People will always pay attention, right? Like they mm-hmm. will if you give them a reason to pay attention for. It. And this I had a history teacher in in high school who he he didn't write notes on the board. He would lecture. He would he you, yeah, I talked to him yeah. years later. He said he would imagine that he was in the moments that he was talking about because mm. he really loved history that much, and he would mm. try to like really show us that passion and energy. Um, and he really Powerful. didn't. I actually want to ask you this type of question: Do you care mm. as a high school uh, teacher about about grades that much? Is that like a big thing to you? No, it you know, our system wants you to more so caring about like test scores, right? And and myself, just seeing how much I've evolved and changed over the years, I realized that the grade, in some ways, it can show effort, but and also it, it makes it helps me realize that it's more so about where you're starting from as a student. So I like to use math as an example most times because that's the subject kids say they struggle with. If you're a student that traditionally does not do well in mathematics and the best thing you can get is a D, that means a lot more than somebody who has been in accelerated classes their whole life and is constantly pushing out A's. And I also realized, too, I have a book behind me. I haven't read it yet, but I just know based off the title, it's probably great. You got a lot of books behind you. I got a lot of books, man. Uh, Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad author, he has a book about something about, uh, you know, why C students run the world or something like that. Yeah, why like A and, students work for C students. Yeah, right, right, something like that, yeah. And, and I think it's something to be said about that because there's a lot of creativity in those students who sometimes can't really just hone in and listen to you the whole time. And they may be doodling or something and maybe they could be writing a hit song or maybe working on their speech. So I think grades are overrated a lot of times, man, because sometimes, and also too, if we, if we dig, dig deeper, it's also showing a... a obedience to the system and I can go on a whole tangent about how to me the school system is not functioning correctly school to prison pipeline and how it's not really preparing our our kids for what the future of our economic system is going to be no I actually think this is a really relevant discussion even though we're talking about public speaking right because what I did in high school is I joined so I went to high school in Newark New Jersey um, Mm -hmm. and we had speech and debate in in my high school uh, as an after school program I learned more in the two years in speech and debate than I learned in four years in regular school. Because mm-hmm, speech and debate, mm-hmm. what it did was it taught you how to think critically, taught you how to make an argument, and then mm-hmm. it taught you how to effectively communicate that argument to an audience, and this, in my activity, a judge, so that they could vote for you. All mm-hmm. of that was mm-hmm. always more relevant than the constant memorization and regurgitation that I think school mm-hmm. systems really try to force mm-hmm. down a lot of people for the sake of yeah. these test scores, right? Um, yeah. And... Same thing with math, right? It was like we have to we have to do calculus, but it's like why? Like why do we have mm-hmm. to do this stuff? Like if you give me the why, I can give you my effort. But if you fail right. to give me the effort, it's more harder to do everything else. Um, exactly. Yeah, and the school to prison pipeline—that's that's another thing. Just in terms of yeah, how we're yeah. creating sort of robots and then sending mm-hmm, them off mm-hmm. into these places because we're not teaching them how to critically think. Right, right. I think we we're we're caught up in a, in a 1900 style of education where we're teaching kids again just obedience and besides even the school to prison pop- pipeline I, I look at it like an assembly line because you know in some ways i, f- I feel like that when i'm at work because I, I specialize in history teaching so it's almost like a guy on the line that just specializes in turning the nut on a, on a car then he passes it along to a you know to the next person and so on and so forth so by the time this kid gets out i'm supposed to be teaching like a common narrative of american history that's not really 
uh, set in critical thinking. I had a kid tell me today, like we were talking about the causes of slave, uh, sorry, civil war, right. and we talked about like the the brutality of slavery. And I had a, a young lady leave and say, like, I honestly don't think that I would have learned this truth if I didn't have a black teacher like you. And what she was saying was that like a lot of her teachers in the past were sugarcoating things about that experience, yeah. you know. So we we can't do that for these kids. Like, and and the thing is, they can we can teach them a certain narrative, but then they can go home log online, maybe on the bus, take out their phone, and they can find the truth right there. Right. So it's, it's keeping us all honest. And even with education, what you said about the debate team, my ideal setting for, edu for education, especially as a history teacher, man, would be when we're studying this stuff, I know it's it's, it's a utopian type dream, but like, I want to take kids to that place. Like we're talking about the first, uh, the, the American Revolution, for example, I want them to be able to go to that location where it happened, right. because we learn best through experience. So if I'm just constantly telling you what happened, it's not the same as you actually being there and we're seeing it in a museum. But, you know, we, we're still stuck in this, this system where I get 30, 35 kids. And, you know, you, that's why Chicago's on strike right now. So <laughs> yeah, class, I mean, 30, 35 kids a class. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit about authenticity and storytelling. So for you, what yeah. you just said was like, your best uh, ability to impact the audience is when you're talking about the brutality of slavery, not just sugarcoating it, not just teaching what the textbook right. wanted you to teach. And that comes from your own authentic experience and your relationship to that history. How important is it, if we want to make this a little more general for people listening to the podcast, yeah. for people to be authentic and not just like sugar, not like just like surface level authentic, but truly feel what they're speaking about in order to maximize impact on the audience they're speaking to. I'm a true believer, Amit, and um, you're, everyone's an expert of their own experience, kind of what you're alluding to. I was speaking to a group of middle schoolers last week, and I asked them, we, we took a break between every segment I had, and I had like these little trivia questions. And one of my questions was, you know, who's the smartest person in the room? And it was a trick question, of course. I wanted to see what they were going to say. Right. And I had like two different sides, and the kids actually answered it correctly. They said everyone. And I explained the fact that, yeah, because you're you're an expert at your own experience. But the fact is, a lot of us try to fit into these boxes where we we capitulate, you know, or assimilate to what society expects and wants. So I think what we have to do with speakers is we have to honestly say, I can only speak to you about what I've experienced. And I can I can attempt to relate it to something else. But this is all I know. Right. Like if I'm if I'm a suburban person that grew up in the suburbs, well affluent. I probably can't speak on some of the experiences that somebody like myself growing up on the south side of Chicago can speak of. And even for myself, I wasn't involved in the street life like some people might assume from being from the south side. So I can't really speak on that. Right. I speak that from an outsider's perspective. And I think one thing I've had to learn is you have to take that experience and then narrow it down as specific as you can to what is it that I've dealt with or have done that makes me different from everybody else. Yep. You, you 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 never saw Shaq. I'm an NBA fan. You never saw Shaq out there shooting three pointers, man. Maybe at an All Star game, that guy scored 30 points a game by just standing in the hole, backing you up and dunking on you, man. Yep. That's that's all you like. Steph Curry, he's not dunking on anybody. He's shooting threes. That's his thing. So like, what is it that you've done? And and, and some people don't. We've been so tricked, man, to believe that we're like everybody else. That we don't even think that we are unique. I tell, I ask kids like, who's gonna get an A on the test? You might get three kids. There's no confidence. Right. We don't have any. Man, I'm telling you, like the the reason why I can go up and speak right now, and I'm I'm just starting. I want to say in the past few months to really get this level of confidence. Right. Is because I've honed in on this is my thing, 
Like I just started recently not even having to write out everything that I not everything, but like write out every single bullet point. I spoke yesterday and I and I was able to go off the top of my head because it was like I'm telling my story. I'm not I'm not lecturing about something in history. I'm lecturing on my history. Right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's easy to improvise when you're improvising about yourself. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I think we need to become students of ourselves, man. We we spend twelve years in school. We know the pledge. We know the you know the Constitution. We know the Bill of Rights. But what 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 is it about us that we need to know more of? Right. That's what's I, missing, in my opinion. I think that's an amazing thing to say because I, the reason I love public speaking so much is because I feel like it's really a metaphor for life. If we really really break it down, right? The ability mm-hmm. to stand up, take a risk, communicate who you are. All of that is, yeah. is life at the end. Life is communication. Mm-hmm. Life is taking mm-hmm. risks and life is embracing fear. And I think communication risks fear all goes into public speaking. So when you were talking yep. about being self-aware, I mean, that's the mm-hmm. most oldest life lesson you could talk about, right? Because right. even on Maslow's hierarchy of needs at the top, yep. it's like self-actualization. And what mm-hmm. what is that? It means know who you are because there's this belief in humanity that if a human knows who they are, they have a better chance of reaching happiness because they aren't in stuck in like some phase of confusion. So when it comes mm-hmm. to speaking, I see so many motivational speakers that can't get to me. And when I, mm-hmm. it's, it's like you can smell bullshit while they're talking because mm-hmm. because they're they're acting like they're trying to motivate people. And I'm not saying motivating is bad, <laughs> but when E.T. speaks, he went through the stuff he talks about. Right. right Whereas other people, right. I don't want to name names when they speak. I'm like, this is such bull. And you know, it's bullshit. You, you like yeah. it's not even that you didn't go through those experiences. You, we can tell you don't feel any of that. Right. This is yeah. all manufactured. So when it comes to being authentic, I think narrowing out a lane for which you can speak about mm-hmm. for yourself, which everyone can do. And then figuring out how that's different from other experiences, which it is because you're different, um, is really the best way to get authentic. Yeah, and I, I just you know even adding on to that, I think what um what, what Eric like you said what Eric Thomas does, he speaks from his personal experience, and something that he even talks about too is a lot of speakers sound as if they just read a book. He says it several I, times. They sound he sounds they sound like they read a book and they're just regurgitating the information. Yep. And and what we have to do as speakers is. There are like, just like there are universal laws, you know, there are laws of physics. There are certain things that we, that always happen. It's just, we have to fine tune it around our experience. Like, for example, like the early bird gets the worm. If you just go up there and say that over and over, it doesn't mean anything to me. But like Eric Thomas, if you go and say, I wake up at three o'clock in the morning while you probably sleep into seven or eight every day because I'm grinding for my goals then it makes sense, right? Or if you say, you know, you got to really make sure that you uh, take advantage of those gaps, that doesn't connect. But if I tell you, yo, when, I, when I'm when i on my lunch break, I'm not really eating food because I'm grinding and I'm working on my speech and perfecting that, it connects with you more. So yeah, we, we definitely have to get out of that regurgitating information format and again, focusing on who we are and then, oh, that adapts to that principle. Look, y'all, there's nothing new under the sun. We're not, we're, we're, we're just telling our story in a different way. All these superhero movies, same stuff, y'all. They're just same adding thing. a little different flair to it. <laughs> That's all it is. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, such a, it's such a good thing that you bring that up because every speech, right, like I think it's really hard to find someone who can literally come up with a new concept, right? Like it's 2019, social media has been around for 20, 30 years. A, a lot of this stuff is also just like life, right? A lot of this stuff is tr- failure leads to success, it's like, yeah, no shit, failure leads to success, right? Like, this basic stuff, I think the ones who are winning in the speaking industry, and when I mean winning, I mean those who are, like, leaders of thought, people who actually are able to get their message across, they have a unique, authentic communication style that's not mm-hmm. a gimmick, 
And like a lot of these motherfuckers, it's a gimmick, and you can tell it's a gimmick, and they still get paid off of that because our that's how capitalism is, I guess. But a lot of other people who are really authentic, they get the impact. Maybe they don't get as much money, but really the impact is what matters in this communication game. Yeah, yeah. There's a you just got me thinking about some of the people who influenced me even before I I considered being a speaker. I think one person that automatically caught my attention was Malcolm X, and of course everybody loves Martin Luther King. I love him too, but it was something about Malcolm X's story in the way he spoke with such conviction like whenever i listen to him speak it's just it's, it's he's speaking right like he's talking yeah. to you it's a conversation i feel like dr king was very you know it was melodic it was poetic but when i'm listening to malcolm x and i know his story it's like i know what he went through i know i know the pain he got arrested i know you know i know somebody told him when he was younger he couldn't be a lawyer because you know because of his race and and he's speaking at your soul and then on the flip side, I started listening to Dr. Wayne Dyer when I was in college. And he's one of my favorite people, period. But it's completely different. He's authentic to himself. He's not speaking like Malcolm X. Right. He's speaking calm. And it but I can listen to him speak for two hours straight and not get bored. You know, so it's it's <laughs> what's what's the story that we're telling and how do we craft it around our you our unique gift? Because not everybody's gonna be an Eric Thomas, not everybody's gonna be a Malcolm X. Some of us are like a Wayne Dyer. Uh, some of us are, you know, like a Bob Proctor, maybe uh, a Lisa Nichols, you know, some people are Tony Robbins. They might have you walking on coals and stuff like you, but whatever it is, just make sure it's you and not somebody else. And I think that is a tough thing. And that's why we have to challenge ourselves to the to watch a variety of people. Right. And then we can like, you know, when I was growing up playing ball, man, I went through like different shooting forms every time because I was always trying to mimic somebody. Right. <laughs> and then eventually you find out what works for you. So. Did, did you have goals of being in the NBA? Oh yeah, man. I was uh, how, you know, how, how I, tall I was are you? Average, average. I'm like six three. You know, well six two, six three with my shoes on. Um, so you know, I, I was hoping I would get to six six. It probably wouldn't have made a difference. So I was good. But when I got to high school, I was like, oh, I'm not that that not good. That good. <laughs> man, I had dreams of being in the NBA. I I, I joined yeah. debate freshman year, and yeah. then I was like, I want to be next LeBron. So I quit debate after in September. <laughs> I joined basketball. And then yeah. I was good, but I'm yeah. not getting taller than 5'8". <laughs> so so yeah, I went back man. to debate my junior year, and I went back to my debate coach. I was like, I'm sorry I quit, but I need to come back. And he was like, all right. Welcome, welcome he probably welcomed you with open arms. Come on back. You know what's funny, man? I've always been infatuated with debate. Like, high school, I liked it. I never joined college. I would go to the debate, you know, functions and watch. I had a friend that was in. Right. And I would just watch him, man. And, and uh, for a lot of my life, and this is for people who don't think they have a voice. I spent high school as the observer and I spent college slowly coming out of my shell. Right. High school, I had my little clique. I was cool, but I wasn't like this super popular dude that was just always boisterous and class clown, none of that stuff. I was just trying to find my niche. And high school is a weird time for people. I'm talking, I'm giving class presentations, I'm shaking, but I just mm. did it, you know? I just did it to get the grade. And, and in college, when I started to think about being a teacher, I knew I wasn't really a speaker. So I just started, I took a, a, a speech communication class. I'm talking like I didn't, I wasn't, I don't feel like I was born with it. So maybe I wasn't, I had to carve it, but it's something I really had to work hard for. So taking speech communication, uh, trying out to be the uh, commencement speaker for our, for our graduation, for our black and graduatory graduation and, and not getting it. Like I failed at that, you know, like I, I didn't do that great. I thought I was going to do good. I even had a period of time in college, man, where I was rapping and it took, yeah, man, I went through that phase, too. And, <laughs> and don't I ask to me rap to rap, because I'm not... It work. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, had, we all had the technology. It was like, why not try? We had but, SoundCloud. We were like, fuck it. 
<laughs> give it a shot. And here's the thing, though, man. It was, what's funny is, like, having to muster the courage to get on stage, I had no idea that that was preparing me for this. Because check it out. As, as I'm rapping, I'm coming up with metaphors and similes, right? Because I, I was a lyrical guy. And as I'm speaking, you have to be able to come up with metaphors and similes and compare it to something. So now it was so simple, man. I go on stage. I'm, I can get the crowd hype like I'm rapping. Then I'm going into speaking. So yeah. now I'm like, compared to, to compared to rapping, this is easy. So for the speakers out there, y'all, like, it, it takes time sometimes. And you have to find your way in. Just because you're not, you don't feel born with the gift. You'll you'll find your route. Just practice and don't think you got to be this rah rah guy. You're just having a conversation with people. That's it. Sometimes it's thirty, sometimes it's a hundred. You know, whatever. But you got it. It's actually crazy how much I relate to you. My 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 earliest dream from when I can remember was I wanted to be a rock star. It was just something mm-hmm. about being on the stage and seeing yep. people in the crowd. I, like I I remember like at four years old. I, I really remember this is what I wanted to do. Then Michael Jackson died in two thousand nine. And mm. I didn't grow up with Michael Jackson, but all I heard mm. was he was crazy. He had a baby out of the window, but so I didn't really know who MJ was. So when he yeah. died, and the media actually did a decent job of giving him coverage for his death, it was a good three to four months every day on Good Morning yeah. America. They were giving updates. Yeah. So I was like, I was I was twelve years old. So I was like, maybe I should listen to his music. I fell in love. Like I, I like I fell in love with Michael Jackson. I yeah. started impersonating Billie Jean. And mm. I mean, I went through that MJ phase. Like I was in, and the crazy thing was in sixth grade, we had a talent show. And in sixth grade, I was like, I'm gonna do Billie Jean in front of the sixth graders, the seventh graders and the eighth graders. And I'm gonna win the talent show. And my mom was just like, you've never done this before. You're going to go on stage in front of 300 people and, and lip sync <laughs> Billie Jean. And I was like, yeah. And I did it. And it was, and it, it really makes me get self introspective, right? We're talking about being self-aware. It's like, why did I do that in sixth grade? Why did I decide to go on stage and perform Billie Jean in front of everyone who should have laughed at me? Like, like who, who does that? And mm. for some weird reason, it was like, I wanted to be on stage. And everyone gave me a standing ovation. And I got a lot of props for that. It wasn't even a lot of embarrassment. It was just like, damn, you killed it. Like, that's amazing. Yeah. So when you're talking yeah. about how you went through the rapping phase and that ultimately uh, the figurative language skills that you figured out transition to the speaking phase, that's kind of how I feel. Because I wasn't a good dancer singer, but I had the stage presence. And now I'm on stage speaking. I, I think I've found sort of my niche in, in the speaking world. Um, but it's just about transferring skills and figuring out what yeah. works, right? It's, it's real, man. And, and I guess I, will, I definitely say that for anybody that's out there that's, you know, thinking about entering the speaking field and want to fine tune your skills. You have to find something you can do daily that can help you practice. And I think I have a cheat code being a teacher, man, because, you know, yep. Malcolm Gladwell, 10,000 hours. Like, I'm in my 10th school year teaching. And again, if I'm doing this, five periods a day in front of high schoolers, 55 minutes. Um, you get a certain level of confidence. And I got to a point, like when I started my first speaking gig, where I started to take it serious was January 2017. And that's all I would envision. I'm like, you know what? I'm just talking in front of a class. And that's it. Like when I when I get in front of kids, man, I'm, 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 my, I'm, I light up on myself because I know like they're going to take me for who I am. Right. I have a way of connecting. I don't forget where I came from. So that's something like that. I, I think that we don't realize, like, what is it that you can do? It could be just talking to a group of three of your friends, captivating them with a story, you know, just write down, what do you want them to get from this story and start going at them that way? And I, I think that's something that you mentioned too, that's really powerful. You just got up on the stage and did it, man. And I look, I've been first performance in college, you know, nervous speaking in front of my speech communication class, nervous, you know, but it's just having the courage to do it. You just got to have a fearless approach. And like, 
uh, 50 Cent and uh, Robert Greene, man, they got this great book, one of my favorite books, called The 50th Law. And they talk, and the whole book is about this fearless approach. Right. And he uses different historical figures throughout history to compare this to 50 Cent's life. But it's just really, you have to realize, and I, and I, and I love that, I love you have a, um, I think it's your webcast, right? I'm probably saying this wrong, but I know you have like a, a, a video, an interview series. Um, when you talk about mor- mor- mortality, mortality, right? Mortality, yeah, and, that's a podcast. Yeah, yeah, mortality, right, yeah. right. Yep. So, and, and I think that's what that's what he talks about in the book is the fact that look, realize you're gonna die one day. Mm. Once you get over that, now what? Like it's mm. and I always consider that. And I know it sounds weird to some people, but I'm like, okay, what's the worst thing that could happen when I do this? Like I'm not gonna die. <laughs> I mean, I'm just I might embarrass myself. Like I might I mess up. Pants, in a, in a, but you're not gonna die. <laughs> I'm not gonna die, man. And the thing is too is like if I mess up, nobody's gonna know. I got over that in college when I'm a rap and I forget my verse. I'm like, nobody even knows I forgot my verse. My song ain't on the radio, so just start freestyling. It don't matter. That's, <laughs> you know? I love it. Yeah, then you learn. And the thing is, too, if you record your speech, you're the only one that has it. So if you don't like the way it turns out, don't post it online. You know, just do it, y'all. Just go, just go out there and I, give it a shot. I love that you went there because mortality, right? <clears throat> like, I love to theorize about this thing because it, it mm-hmm. gives me goosebumps. It's like, we are going to die. We have this beginning, we have this end, yep. and in the middle yep. is, is it. And the Earth has been around for, like, what, 14 billion years? We get, like, a measly <laughs> 70 yeah. to 80, if we're healthy, on this planet to enjoy existence. Yep. Most of that is suffering, right? 95% yeah. of it is dealing with bullshit. The 5%, mm-hmm. when they say happiness is in the little things, it's really in the little things, right? Like, we don't get that much time. So... Mm-hmm. In terms of being fear fearlessness, I guess this transitions to the next question. We kind of talked about it, but I guess we can get a direct answer. How do people use mortality, lack of fear, mm-hmm. to get over the fear of public speaking? What did you do, Ernest, to get over the fear of public speaking? Great question. So, again, personalizing this to my own experience, you know, something we talked about earlier, uh, having perspective. And I think if, you know, let's just assume that most people that are going to watch this or listen to it are from America then you know that your ancestors from whatever part of the world they're from to get to this spot was a struggle. No matter if mine or mine were forced, some came willingly, whatever, but it was a struggle. All you have to do is open a history book. If you can't trace back your history personally, just Google, you know, whatever your ethnic group is, 1800s, 1700s, early 1900s. Most of us were struggling. And I'm not saying everything is perfect now, but just give yourself some perspective and say, well, look, they went through that. The life expectancy back then might have been like 40 in some places and they didn't have like proper sewage systems and they didn't have proper hygiene. And, you know, they couldn't just go to the doctor like and we we talking life expectancy now, 80. Some we got a lot of a lot more centurions now. So give yourself perspective when you're able to look at the bigger picture. It makes sense, you know, so don't just look at that puzzle piece. Like, look at this as a whole. And if, and if you live with regret, like at, when you're on your deathbed, man, I've read too many books and I've listened to too many interviews to hear people talk about that. Yep. And I've I've experienced too much death, man, in the past, like two or three years, like best friends, you know, same age as me, close friends, heart attacks and, you know, suicide from former students, uh, former students getting shot down, going to prison. Like whenever that death happens, man, it, you, you're going to deal with the one or two ways. It's going to tear you down and it's going to build you up. So when I've experienced that type of stuff with that and then having that whole perspective of the totality of my whole, you know, ancestry, it's like, look, man, again, Dr. King only had 39 years. Malcolm X, 39. Look at the impact, you know, like if we're talking about an artist, 
Tupac, 25. Like, Biggie, I, yeah. still can't, I still can't believe that sometimes, man. 25 years. Biggie had two albums, so, and people think he's the best rapper two, in the world. That's what I'm saying, man. Two albums. So it's not even really about the lift sometimes. But it's like every day that I'm here, man, I'm going to go hard. Like, I, I can't I can't shortchange, y'all. So if you don't have that type of, you know, anxiety to go hard every day yet, again, look at your past. Ask a relative. See how hard it was. You're privileged to be here right now. It's a blessing. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think I think that kind of sums it up. The way to get over the fear of public speaking is recognize that the fact that it's a fear is a privilege because there were people yeah. who feared to like mm. survive another day, right? No matter what their ethnic group is, right. all these different like people were afraid just to get to a different country. Some were being forced, some were being taken from their native land, some were had to go across the ocean. Like it's it's insane to me how because we're in 2019, almost 2020, we have these fears that we think are legitimate. Whereas just a couple hundred years ago, this world was different. Like this world was not the world that it is today. And like, we are, we are so privileged, even though our world is still, you know, in, in crazy turmoil to at least have some stability. And in that yeah. stability comes the, comes the beauty of, can we communicate, especially because we have the democratization of social media mm-hmm. to share our experience. And like, this is the best time to be alive, to share your experience. So why not give yeah. that speech and share it? Right. Man, for real, like, dude, you can you can record yourself talking in front of nobody in the room and post it online and have whether it be ten, a hundred, a thousand people just watch you. What you know? we're doing right now could be viewed by a hundred thousand right. people. It could be exactly. we could be speaking to a hundred thousand people theoretically. Exactly, and and, and they didn't, we didn't have that opportunity back in the day, man. Like we talking ten years ago, you would have had to like order somebody's CD as a public speaker, their their tape series, yep. you know. Um, I mean, like maybe 40, 50 years ago, there might have been only like two or three well-known speakers. I don't know, maybe Napoleon Hill and some other people. But like you have the opportunity now to connect with people, to practice all the time. And I always look at stuff like in terms of, you know, my mind just kind of works this way. But, you know, is what I'm doing something that would have been useful if I did not have all this technology, you know? So like you said, with the fear aspect. Um, we had the fear of wild animals sometimes. You know, like that, I'm talking way, way back in the day. Yeah. That was a legitimate fear. Not knowing when you're going to get your next meal. That was a legitimate fear. We didn't have grocery stores to go to. So again, looking at that and then considering public speaking, it's like, okay. Like you know, and, and, right. and, and here's the thing, too, that I figured out. Because again, I used to be an extremely shy guy going through high school. It's like I realized it's all energy. So you have to decide how you're going to use that energy. Like that gasoline could be used to start a fire or it could start a car. So what are you going to do? You know, are you, I use that to get excited. I, I get those nerves every time before I go speak. But I'm like, oh, I can't wait to impact this crowd because I'm about to change their life. Instead of saying, oh, man, I'm about to I'm about to pee on myself because I'm about to mess up. Like flip your narrative. <laughs> I, yeah, I just I just keep relating to you. I had, I had, a, I had a class presentation yesterday. And we had to, we had to do a, we, we had to present on some company and it was some business class. And I told my groupmates, I was like, I want to have a funny introduction. Um, to give you a real quick premise of it, the, the, the biggie line that's like, mo money, mo problems. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, I was, we were analyzing some company. They were, had run into some lawsuits, but they were making more money. So the introduction mm. was going to be like, does anyone know when you get mo money? And then the crowd's supposed to say, <laughs> you get more problems. And that was going to be the transition to the problem with our company. So I was like, yeah. guys, this is what we're going to do. It's going to be funny. The professor's going to love it. It's going to work. All three of them are like, I don't know about that. Like, I don't know if we should, like, let's just get through the presentation. Let's... I was like, guys, every presentation that went before us was fucking boring. 
I fucking fell asleep <laughs> like this. It was boring. I did not like it. Maybe they got a good grade because the professor just gave them a grade to get through it. But I want to make an impact on the audience. Mm-hmm. The, the beautiful thing about public speaking is like it is that moment, which is to, yeah. which is connected to mortality to me, right? Because mm-hmm. mortality, the, the ability to enjoy your life is just moment by moment. Once this moment goes, the next moment's gone and you have to move on to the next mm-hmm. moment. So the, the, the impact that you were talking about for to give in public speech, even though you're so nervous, but you're ready to change people's lives, you have mm-hmm. that moment. And that moment yeah. is so important because it's just that moment. So mm. I was like, you know what? We're going to do this. I'm making an executive decision. We're doing this introduction. I'm going to say it. You guys just sit in the corner and just watch what happens. Yeah. And I did oh, it. Man. And the whole crowd starts laughing. The professor loves it. He gives us a 90 on the project. He's, he wrote in the comments on the rubric. I love the Biggie line. Like, this was awesome. Yeah. This professor is a 50-year-old white guy who loved a Biggie line. <laughs> like, it no, just works. And if it didn't work, what's the yeah. worst thing that could have happened? Exactly. You laugh at Like, the risk had a reward and the impact was amazing so when you were saying you get these nervous jitters but you're so ready to impact i think that's the beauty of speaking right yeah yeah and for me too man like again having that period of time in my life where i was so introverted i felt like i, I mistook my introvertedness to for to for uh really just trying to find my niche and again being that observer because i don't i think that people lack confidence in things they don't know about right you know like i have kids come in my class they're loud you know whatever but we start talking and i say okay who wants to read everybody's putting their head down so they don't have that confidence in that but you know if they're talking about their game or Fortnite or call of duty everybody's putting their hands up so when i'm talking about myself or my experience or whatever you know a topic in history i can talk all day because it's about me and one thing i learned was like if if i'm at a, a gathering and everybody's debating something and they're yelling, I can't operate that way. But what I love, okay, when it calms down, now it's my turn. I'm about to go in. I got the audience. I love speaking because I have that captive audience. Right. I'm not the type of person that wants to go around yelling at everybody and yelling over people. Let me get you in a controlled environment. I got you for 30 minutes or an hour. I'm about to say everything that was on my introverted mind that I was bottling up and taking notes on, and bam, I'm going in. And, and to me, that's the, that's the best you approach it <laughs> and, and the and the beauty of that as well is that if you don't captivate them that's your fucking fault you can't blame anybody exactly. else right. exactly yeah yep yep because but the reward there. is that if you do captivate them which i'm sure you do i've seen a lot of your content i'm sure your audience yeah. is entertained they respond then you get the the the, the dopamine rush of like i fucking yeah. killed it right yeah it's it's a crazy feeling man because like you said the dopamine rush is real because i promise you i was reflecting on this yesterday when I, I spoke at an NHS induction ceremony, and I was like, I'm really doing something that I never would have thought. Like, I'm, I'm about to be 32 in a couple weeks. I'm like, 16-year-old Ernest would never do this. Like, I can't even fathom the fact that I have people coming up to me telling me that I'm, I'm a great speaker. They love what I said. They love my message. And I'm like, me? Really? So it's, 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 it's real, feeling. man. Yeah, and once you start to see the reaction of some people, it's like if and if you think again, if you're not getting a reaction that you expect, it could be a couple of things. Maybe you're not talking to the right audience. Yep. Because you know, like I'm, I can't give this same speech to like you know at a nursing home or something. But I'm talking to these high school kids, African American mainly from similar environment I'm from, right. and they're listening because I can't connect. And here's something that you said too, I think is powerful. Like when you went up and you and you get you uh, said those lyrics, it's really that it's. It, that's who you are. It's honesty. Right. Like nobody wants to. I, I just. I really despise speakers who go up there and then they go. They do like this, and they just start reading. 
And it's like, it's no connection, man. It's like, it's have no the courage connection. to at least know what the fuck you're going to say. That you yeah, don't it's, card, it's it, you know, I'm, and I'm a, maybe it's because I'm a bullet point type of guy. I just can't, I just can't do that. Like, I just can't say it word for word. I'm the type of guy, like, you know, I'm on the script, forget the script. Let me be real with you for a second. Right. And, and, and again, I learned that in class. Every time I, I do that and I say, you know what, let me talk about this. Whenever I go on a tangent, man, kids are attentive. Classes ain't boring when I go on a tangent. Yeah. <laughs> I, I went on a tangent a week ago for like 30, 40 minutes, man. We were talking about um the gold rush and how most of the people who went to the to the West ended up broke, didn't find gold. But the people who were wealthy, like Levi Strauss, he was selling products like jeans, you know, like shovels to people who were trying to find gold. So I gave him an example of how when I was in high school, I would sell CDs back when people actually bought CDs. You know, <laughs> the bootleg kind. Yeah. And we kind of went on <laughs> we went on this whole tangent about like how today they could uh, monetize their social media acumen. And they were just like all ears. I'm like, yo, y'all got a job at a local business? I said, y'all should be running a social media account. Those 30, 40, 50, 60 year olds don't know nothing about that. They don't know nothing and they about were, again, 30, 40 minutes, all ears. Because I kept it real. I went off script. You might have to go up on stage one day and act like you had a script and just throw it to the side. Yep. <laughs> that could work too. These are important <laughs> techniques because people people give speeches and they don't feel like they impact with the audience. And it's like, maybe you didn't talk to the right people or you didn't actually yeah. understand how to captivate their attention. And that could be going off script sometimes. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Speak so. to the person beforehand. You know, do some research. Right. So it's like a job interview, you know? Absolutely. Uh, so we're going to wrap this up. I have one final question. I, I think you've, you've been a really good guest. I think you gave a lot of good value to our listeners. Um, at 16, you had no idea at 32, you would be transitioning into this phase of your life where you were giving public speeches to African-American youth that were going through the same struggle as you. You wanted to do mm-hmm. MBA. You wanted to do rapping, got to college. Right. We're afraid to do speech communication, got rid of, got started chipping away the introvertness, started becoming a teacher. Yeah. I think you know how to speak. I think you have some good content to speak about. What do you think is the future for Ernest Krim III in the public speaking world? Do you see yourself getting invited to give keynotes at major corporations and making 50000 off a speech? Do you see hmm. yourself speaking around the world, trying to spread the message of your impact? What is your primary motivation right now? Or do you just want to be the best teacher you can be? So definitely uh i want to be the best teacher i can be and what i mean by that is i don't think that a classroom is always the best place to teach and that's something i realized when I, mean, I went through my my hate crime trial it was like you know i have a great message i feel but i feel like in some ways i'm restricting myself if i just keep it contained to just the 30 kids over right. five periods right. every day you know for the course of a year or whatever when I can do that and then also on the side speak to a larger audience so they can learn what I went through right. in, in an hour and give them this powerful message. So for the future for me, I feel like um, I don't even want to say I feel I just know the way it's, the way it's heading is I'll begin speaking to even larger audiences. Right now, I'm solely I've been kind of based in the Chicago area. You got to start where you're so, from. So. You got to start where you're from. Yeah, yeah, you're right, right. And that's the thing, too, man. Something I learned even with being a big fan of hip hop is they would always say, like, rappers want to blow up, but nobody in their city knows who they are. Yep. Like, a lot of the stuff I even try to do is based on what I learned from independent hip-hop rappers. So it's like, yo, you got to monopolize, like, your area. Like, where I'm from now, people know who I am. Right. And, it, and then it, 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 it grows out from that situation. So my goal is really, man, the money is going to come. But what I'm focused on is I feel like every school that has a group of kids, particularly African-American, anybody else that, can, that deals with issues of 
you know, lack of confidence around their, uh, their ethnicity or whatever, whether it be white, black, Hispanic, Asian, whatever. I feel like I'm the speaker that's going to be the, the go-to for those situations. And then if that goes to something else, I welcome it. But I think when I, what I see what these kids are going through around the country and when I see, um, you know, the achievement gaps and everything from district to district, that's just like what's going on in my hometown and where I teach now. This, like, give you another example, man. It's um only 1.7% of teachers are African-American males. Yeah. And I was thinking about that the other day, like, long term, we need to have more of us in the classroom, you know, to to be in line with the percentage that are the kids in the class. But right now, it's not going to happen overnight. So I need to be that person that's in every classroom going across this country. And that's going to eventually, you know, uh, balloon and grow to, to more money. But that's not the priority now. But, you know, what would be funny is if I start to do corporate gigs. That would be pretty cool. Just because, like I said, 16 years ago, I didn't see myself doing this. But if there's a corporate... Uh, you know, person out there that likes my message, hey, let's do it. Hit him up, hit him up. That's <laughs> a, it, I keep it real with you. Yeah, I, I love that you said that because um, my my teacher, my my debate coach in high school was African American, and he was an African American male, and he was one of like two African American male mm. English teachers we had in the school. Changed my life, right? Fundamentally transformed mm. how I view race. Introduced me to critical race theory. Started reading mm. Derek Bell. Like, started really mm. getting me into a lot of. A lot of knowledge and i think what you're saying the reason i think you're gonna win just from an outsider perspective is you didn't start with money you, you said the money is gonna come hopefully it comes mm-hmm. but to you there right. is a message and that message has an impact and it's a legitimate mm-hmm. impact based on your personal experience about and statistically it's proven the lack of representation that exists in this country in regards to authoritative teaching positions that are developing young minds mm-hmm. in the next coming decade you have a real message, and I think, yeah, I think it's just a matter of just now. It's just like content and like got to get noticed and all that yeah. stuff. But you got a good message, and yeah. I think if it gets out there, then you know the future is very bright. So appreciate it, man. That's that's a whole other topic, man. Just the branding, you know, getting getting your voice out there, and having people see that you actually do speak. So right. it's if they different. if they like this episode, we might do part two on how to brand yourself as a speaker. Hey, let's let's do it, man. Do <laughs> it's it. a great conversation. All right, Ernst, so thank you for being on the podcast. Let everybody know where to find you, and then we'll uh, we'll end this out. All right, so you all can check me out on uh, Facebook at Mr. Cram the Third. so that's three I's. Um, Twitter, Mr. Cram number three. Instagram, Mr. Cram number three. And uh, LinkedIn, just look me up, Ernest Cram the Third. y'all. I'm always on there, always active, as long as I'm out of school, because I got a bad connection at work, so. all right Ernest thank you for being on the podcast thank everybody listening and we'll see you next time on the public speakers podcast